you care about helping your local community thrive? Do you believe in supporting businesses in your neighborhood and city? Do you live in Tucson, Flagstaff, Mesa, or Phoenix? If so, then Bookman's is the perfect place for you. And this episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's, my favorite used bookstore, one-stop knick-knack shop, and Arizona institution. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more. You never really know what you're going to find there. You can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. And during this time of social distancing, they have curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling in trades. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information. And grab your mask and head over. And remember, Bookman's has cool covered. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kid. to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating alternative perspectives on sports and art. My name is Abigail Smithson, and as always, I'm your host. My guest today is Ivan Salcido. Born in El Paso, Texas, Ivan is a Mexican-American artist living and working in Portland, Oregon. For his work and inspiration, he draws on personal experience, family history, and Mesoamerican mythology. With formal training in fine art, carpentry, and metalwork, his artworks vary in media, including sculpture, drawing, and painting, as well as materials, which include steel, wood, and neon. His newer work has shifted toward the narrative, while older work primarily focused on abstract forms and elements subtly rooted in personal experience. On the show today, we discuss the basketball card Ivan made based on his grandmother's playing days and other works of his that employ some symbolism from the game of basketball. Just a quick note to say that Ivan and I spoke this past Saturday afternoon, the day after Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, and that's what we're speaking about uh, when the episode begins. It kind of comes in the middle of our conversation. We're speaking about her and our concerns for the present and the future. I also hope that all of you listening who are in the United States are planning on voting in this upcoming election on November 3rd. And for those of you that don't live in the United States, I hope you're also planning on voting in whatever elections are upcoming in in your own countries. If you want to register to vote or check your voter registration status or encourage someone else to get registered, please go to www.iwillvote.com. I just went to the site yesterday to double check my registration because you can never be too sure. So I just want to encourage that as well. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you all enjoy this episode and a big thank you to Ivan for coming on. The way I feel and it just makes me hopeful that there are more people. I mean, I hate to break it down to it just being good or bad, but I really hope You know, I really feel that, like, I think there's more people that are good out there in the world, and hopefully it reflects um, getting people to the polls and, you know, the results, too. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, 2018 was really exciting uh, to that extent. Um, And even just, like, some of the recent Supreme Court decisions were hopeful in the sense that I think our culture is pushing forward the individuals that have power to make decisions to some extent. It doesn't seem like Mitch McConnell is one of those people necessarily, but it does seem like maybe uh, I was just happy with some of the decisions that the Supreme Court made, even with a conservative majority. So there was some like hope coming off this last season of decisions. And uh, I just don't know if that is sustainable with a 6-3 conservative majority. Um, Exactly. Yeah. It's just so, it's just, there's like nothing to, (laughs) yeah. It's just such a, it's so hard. And um, I, I agree with you that I, um, I, it's hard to, I mean, sometimes I feel hopeful and excited and I, and I can totally imagine the November 3rd going the way that I want it to mm-hmm. um, and a lot of progress being made in the next four years. And uh, there can be a switch that gets flipped really easily. And I can imagine the way I felt four years ago and uh, living through another four years of, of this plus, you know, uh, Trump unleashed or whatever. <laughs> and sure, just exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I both are crystal clear in my head. It seems, and it just depends mm-hmm. on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. What a 
What a time. What a time, yes. I think it's, it's important to acknowledge the gravity of this moment. And, um, you know, I hear from my grandmother who was born in, you know, this, uh, you know, talking about being like the keeper of the information that, that we discussed in relationship to your grandmother. But, you know, my grandmother was born in 1924. And I remember in 2008 when I voted for Obama in the primaries, my grandmother said, well, I guess I'm never going to get to see a woman president, you know, and then like 12 wow. years later, she's still alive. There's a chance yeah. now for a uh, female vice president. And, you know, she was kind of hanging that over my head uh, when I voted for Obama. And sure. um, it's just like the fact that in all of there, there had I mean, there's but then also she says, you know, I've lived for much longer than you and I've never been so concerned with the country, you know, so it's like both witnessing that progress and also um she reminds me that this shit is very real. Yeah, and absolutely. It's severe, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I start, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's 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 so unique in fact that I don't remember another time where I have like my grandmother, I have one grandmother left uh and she is talking to me about politics and in the same like turn i have like nieces and nephews at a very young age already really aware of like certain things that are happening with politics and i see such a yeah just such a range and age of the people that are actually involved or like paying attention to what's happening which in one way i think is really important to kind of keep um all the fundamental and like founding principles of our country like kind of at the forefront but at the same time it's it's also telling that things have uh sort of spiraled so far out of control that you're you can't really kind of be of an age where you're not really um con uh concerned with what's happening right on both yeah. ends yeah, yeah exactly wow. yeah i i don't know if i mentioned this to you the other day, but I'm uh, aside from my teaching at the university, I'm also working with some first graders, four oh, first wow. graders who are out of um, out of their regular school and need some extra support. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, when I my friend texted me the link to the article about Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing, and you know the this this first grader was standing right next to me, and I just went, "Oh my god!" And she said what's wrong? And I was just thinking like, where do I start with this, with yeah, a six year old? Exactly. Like, yeah. I was just, I was simultaneous. I mean, I just was like, I wish I was you. And also I don't wish I, I mean, I just, I, there's, it's just so like the, the different things that different generations are going to have to live with that she might, I mean, we're both going to carry the weight of whatever happens with the Supreme court in the coming months and years, but just like, yeah, it's just, um, it was, I was just like, this is the heaviest thing in the world. There's no way. I mean, I can't start to explain it. Yeah. Um, so it's just interesting. So I was just, I need to find an adult immediately. <laughs> you know, where's the nearest adult? Get yeah. out of the way. Um, so, yeah. Um, we'll see. Well, I, yeah, I, I felt like we were getting so close to the election and that uh, there was not going to be the same thing that happened last time with the, you know, FBI announcing the investigation into Hillary Clinton. I mean, I just was mm -hmm. feeling like this is the home stretch where, and it's just a whole other beast now. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm optimistic about, hopefully about results in the, you know, after the election. However, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I feel like I'm preparing myself for more things to start dropping out of the blue um, as we we feel kind of temperatures going one way or the other. Um, and I think as the uh, the current administration maybe gets a little bit more desperate, I, I can yeah. foresee some, some more uh, challenging aspects kind of heading our way. Yes, uh, just, yeah, I mean, the Senate investigation into Joe Biden, like his family mm -hmm. and all that, totally, we could get some... Even some things have come out, I think, uh, about Mark Kelly recently that have felt mm. like um, out of desperation because sure. Martha McSally is so far behind him. And then they're not particularly like, I mean, they're they're hurtful, harmful things um, and they're true. But I'm also like, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm absolutely voting for him, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, if he if he misspoke or, or did something. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, I just ah, so. 
can't can't be super picky right now. Right. Uh, I, I feel. Um, so yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I, I I did feel like it was important to to acknowledge that that's what of course, was yeah. going on. Um, I kept right thinking now. the same thing. Yeah, um, I thought that you know when Anthony Kennedy retired, I was like, this is the ultimate sinking feeling in my stomach. But it mm -hmm. turns out it's not. <laughs> like there's another level of to sink to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, but you know, hopefully it's just like. I don't know. I, I hope Democrats learn a lot from what's happening. It's just, you know, we see that Republicans are just playing for keeps. They, the even with John McCain, you could uh, expect a certain level of civility and like kind of ethics and morals that come into play. Whereas now it seems like all of that is really out the window. And, uh, and you know, as, as, um, hard as it sounds, I think there's a lot of lessons for a lot of uh, Democrats to learn from that. Yeah, I, I agree, especially since even when it's brought up the, about the filibuster maybe being done away with, that e even just talking about that is a sin, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, in 2016, plenty of norms and were thrown out the window. I mean, that's it's, it's why we're in the position we're in now. Um, so just, uh, yeah, I, I think that we have to be a little bit more comfortable with like owning owning the position um, mm -hmm. that we're taking and, and not um, not letting it fall into the category of extreme uh, when Mitch McConnell has pretty much just totally sliced and diced the Senate like as to his will. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. I just think about <laughs> just a mess. Yeah, there's no real. I mean, I was I think I was FaceTiming with my sister yesterday when the news broke. And both of us just kind of sat in silence, just in shock, really, and thinking about, like, immediately what her life meant, what that means for our country. And my nieces and nephews are in the room, and you can you could see my sister holding it together, sort of like what you said, kind of, because it is difficult to kind of break it down and in terms for young people to quite understand but uh, right. uh yeah I, I mean there's just no real there's no real way of getting around it i think and uh and yeah that's what we're left with you know it's not something we can kind of just uh flick off we just we're all seeing how everything is so tied together that even when you want to you will find ourselves waking up in the middle of the night still thinking about politics or whatever else is kind of happening in the world at the time. Yeah, I was really going through it at 3.20 a.m. trying to figure out the third senator that might vote against a Supreme Court nominee. And I yeah. I was just racking my brain. I was thinking about Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Sure. And I was thinking, you know, they're, they might, you know, speak out against this. And then I couldn't mm -hmm. think of it. And then my friend this morning mentioned Mitt Romney, and I was like, I didn't even Romney. think about that. How did how how did I? I went through all the states in my head. How did I not get to Mitt Romney? Sure. So it was just like that adult sort of desperation in the middle of the night when you're like, I just want to think this so I can go back to sleep. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's tough. It's just trying to. I mean, it's all the stages of grief, right? It's like trying to like rationalize how we're going to get through this. And yeah. Else. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So um, let's talk about your work uh, and basketball. Okay, sure. If we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, bring it back to the focus. So I would love to start um, with your relationship with basketball, maybe first as a player um, and, and then now as an artist, how that kind of how you've interacted with it, interacted with it in different ways, and what it sort of meant to you. Well, growing up, it was um, it was pretty easy access, really. You know, you could just show up to the gym, really, and as long as you had sneakers, you were you're able to play. I remember initially signing myself up for a basketball league without asking my parents, and a little too afraid to ask them for the right equipment. Um, I played my first few games out there in jeans. You know, just like crying around in jeans, and uh, there's some photos of that floating around somewhere. Um, 
but I appreciated um, the sporting for for that for that itself is just being able to access it so easily. Um, you know, if someone had a ball, you could just go down to the school and play. So the amount of uh, equipment needed was was um, was minimal and. Um, then moving on, I ended up playing middle school and high school and, um, and a lot of summer leagues and playing uh, intramurals and stuff. Um, and so that was my immediate connection with the sport. My brother and I just grew up playing together. We, something you'd be playing sometimes when the sun came up at practice and playing after school till the sun went down. So it was this kind of like cyclical thing that just spent most of my time doing and um, I like the uh, the idea that anybody can really play and you know there's just different um, different uh, opportunities for everybody to kind of have their own specialty um, and so those are the aspects of the game that I loved to play uh, when I was playing um, but I also love the game because I have a well, my grandmother, as you mentioned, uh, she was a professional basketball player in Mexico in the late 1940s, early 1950s, and uh, which I believe is sort of the time that actually the NBA was forming here in the United States. Um, and so to me, it was always an interest in just uh, that part of her life, because um, obviously by the time I knew my grandmother, she was long past her her playing days but um it was always like a just sort of a family myth that um was uh, sort of repeated over the course of time and i just always had an interest in that and uh as an adult and as an artist i started to research her her history by interviewing her and uh, asking her questions looking for artifacts that kind of supported what she said and um and then I've brought that into my artwork um, parts just directly and another part and another parts a little bit more abstractly. And that the work um, about your grandmother is mm -hmm. is both to, as I understand it, uh, is to archive this history, uh, to keep this history alive and also to to sort of venerate her in some way or celebrate what what she accomplished what she did uh, as a basketball player and, and she was a singer as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, again, uh, in talking to her, there was so much of her life that um, was just so full, so full and like so um, inspiring. Um, but as she's telling me the stories, there's maybe a small photograph here left or like, uh, like her actual card as like her membership card to the league that was left. Um, so very few actual um, uh, items of documentation of that part in her life. And uh, growing up a basketball fan, I also was a child of the eighties. I grew up collecting cards and, you know, playing basketball video games and stuff, but the cards themselves were um, these, these relics, these ways of like uh, one, uh, sort of being in touch with your heroes, um, but they were also kind of like an artifact of of your heroes in, in a way. So you're connected, but you also kind of get a part of them, even if it was just a picture. As you got something that's a little bit more special, maybe they were serial numbered or uh, special editions, and some really special ones either included a piece of the jersey or like an actual player autograph. And um, in thinking about my grandmother's past, I thought that a great way to um, sort of encapsulate that time was to create a piece of memorabilia um, for, well, for her, uh, in honor of her, um, that I could display that would also serve as a uh, launching pad for, um, for a deeper conversation about her own, her own personal story. Um, and so that's what I did. I made a sort of oversized basketball card with her image of, uh, of her uh, standing in a pose that was like a, defen uh, like a uh, defensive pose. 
Buckner basketball uniform and I uh, put it together with all the attributes that you would see in a regular basketball card and one of one and I I took her signature the way she signs um, greeting cards and like Christmas cards and I uh, had a, a friend of mine turn it into a neon autograph and then I installed that on the, the card as to just uh, give it a little bit more dimension and add add more to the piece itself, but also in a way it also references uh, her husband, my grandfather, who, uh, who I never got to meet, he died before I was born, but um, he was a neon sign artist. So in a way I was able to give him a, a nod while also mm-hmm. um, celebrating what my grandmother has done. Um, and how big is that card? The card itself is uh, approximately three foot by four foot. Um, so it's, it's, I tried to keep the dimensions of an actual basketball card in mind as I blew it up to scale. Um, but then logistically too, I couldn't get it. I couldn't make it much bigger because it wouldn't fit my car. It it just makes it a lot more difficult to store. Sure. And the neon, um, is something that is, I've noticed in other pieces that you've made and that mm-hmm. that all connects to your grandfather's trade. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, I like part of, um, part of, I suppose like a reason for this work is just the idea of legacy. And so um, in, at times I want to use it directly, like just a direct reference to my grandmother's playing days, but another, ways I also want to um, bring it in, even if it's just for myself in different ways. Um, and so um, using using the neon is, is, is pretty much a, a nod to my grandfather and just trying to make that connection there um, on top of the fact that I, I just love the art form itself. And um, in a, I guess, as I try to learn more about it, um, I'm kind of working with it to kind of get a better understanding of how how it works and just kind of continue to teach myself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it really makes the, um, like you said, adds dimension, makes the piece kind of like pop mm-hmm. out um, mm-hmm. and gives it a very slick look. Um, it does. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like very interested in seeing this piece in person. Uh, I think as well, um, just because it's, I just, you know, spatially and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, once the, it depends on what, what I'm using. Sometimes they're just kind of um, pieces of glass that I'll purchase randomly. Um, I try to contact neon sign makers everywhere I go. And um, on occasion, they'll have things that are, really working for them or that they're not going to use and I'm able to buy that and I come home and as I'm working on a piece, um, if I find something that is that I'm able to use, um, I'll, I'll put it together in that way. Other times, um, say I'm working on a, on a grant, I'll, I'll um, specifically uh, have something fabricated in order to, to use it for a piece. Um, but I do feel like it, it, it does um, Slick is a good word, but I think it also just kind of, it's like, it's done. Um, and when you work in like abstract work, sometimes that's kind of a hard thing to find is when the piece is done. Um, and by um, sort of limiting myself in certain ways, I, I'm able to kind of like tighten the piece up and focus on, on like the details or what I'm really trying to get, across, get to come across. Right. And, and that reference of sign making as like a craft, um, mm-hmm. I, I know where I grew up in California. There's this one stretch of highway where like every sign you see over the wall, it looks like a one-off, that mm-hmm. that sign doesn't exist anywhere else, that it was, you know, made specifically for that place and or maybe it was hand-painted or something like that. And when I lived in Baton Rouge, there was also a lot of very like carefully done uh, handmade signs and so even just um, that that is kind of an art form in and of itself that that business owners uh, do and you know and as sort of small some small businesses are being pushed out and, and things like that we're also kind of losing sometimes um, the art form that goes along with with small businesses um, 
in, in especially in in smaller places yeah absolutely growing up in the southwest you also kind of take road trips anywhere and those are the signs you see motels have or different places casinos they have they're really um bright and um it it's part of what draws attention to the place um i know my grandfather worked on signage throughout the southwest and um at one point um my family moved to salt lake city i'm, I'm originally from el paso texas and moving to salt lake city um my dad and i were the first ones gonna go we were the first ones that were gonna go and drop off all our stuff um and we took a detour out to um uh, farmington and in farmington it was uh the last sign that my grandfather had kind of made and it was still up uh, i remember pulling into a parking lot it was i think it was like a taco box or something um and my dad just kind of like looking at it and as a young person, I didn't quite understand what that meant, but um, now I think about how much, um, you know, and how what we make can sometimes kind of outlive us, right? And can still kind of um, uh, hold significance to the people that, you know, care about you or, um, so that was sort of, instrumental in the way in, in using it um you're in yuma tucson. or tucson yeah. um uh well in uh and also when i lived in salt lake city we went down to to arizona not tucson but to yuma and um my grandfather's brother um had just passed and he was also a neon sign maker and at a young age i was able to walk around his studio and look at all the variations of cacti that he had made out of neon or like wolves howling at the moon um <laughs> and i remember the bases the arizona yeah. uh check boxes for symbols yeah, absolutely um and i remember one cactus in particular looked like it was like a like someone flipping the bird basically you know just kind of um yeah. shaped, Swarrow, shaped like a hand yeah exactly and i thought it was so funny and um and those are the memories that i have when I um, pick up neon and use it in my work, uh, I try to make sure that the neon balances with every all the other aspects um, because I'm not a neon sign maker. I am conscious of, um, of when I use it that it holds the same weight as all the other components. But um, I, hopefully I'll, I'll learn a little bit more about uh, neon in the future and continue to use it. But um yeah it's a really incredible story of visiting your grandfather's sign a sign that he um made and um i know i've had a lot of curiosity about visiting houses that my parents might have lived in uh you know when they were growing up or even the, ha the apartment that you know my mom was brought home to when she was born and things like that but then uh there's something different about this this thing that was made you know that mm -hmm. that they that without maybe uh, your grandfather doing that, it would be a different looking sign. It would exist sure. differently. It's, it has his, his hand, his create, his creativity in it. Um, it's a pretty amazing sort of artifact. Yeah. It's like a, you know, your own personal archeology span kind of dig is, um, and especially because he died before I ever knew him. So, um, there might be one or two paintings that he had made and, my, my aunt's house or my uncle's house and um, that was the extent of how I knew him um, so it's this uh, idea that um, even though he didn't occupy like a physical space in my world there was always like a space for him and um, all these different instances allowed me to kind of um, uh, dig up more um, of him sort of yeah. and just i'm able to kind of get a better sense of who he was and um it allows me to kind of uh sort of communicate with him in a way and ask questions and just kind of imagine what he would think or you know if he'd get a kick out of some of the things that i'm making now yeah like that. yeah that's that's pretty amazing um i'm wondering if uh you mentioned that your grandmother, uh, Ava, she had mm -hmm. she had passed away. 
No, she's still she's still around. She's okay. um, yeah, she's still um, kicking it in El Paso, just kind of <laughs> causing good trouble. Like but not as a habanera, habanera. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they were her team was sponsored by a soap company in Juarez called Jabon Juarez. And so their nickname for the team was Jaboneras, basically meaning like little soap dishes, but a lot of things in Spanish have like double meaning. And so I think it also kind of was like cute little soapies sort of <laughs> kind of. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of their own nickname. Other names within her league were the Oh, geez, now I forget. Um, Adelitas, which I'm not quite sure exactly what that means, but um, there were various cities that had their own their own teams. And she's seen this card that you've made of her. She hasn't seen it in person. Uh, since I'm located in Oregon, it's been, it, it'd be quite a... Uh, sure. Yeah, quite a... You can't a, just put it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, But um, my family has shown their photographs and they've printed out copies of it. Um, and she was actually aware of the process. She was sending me um, versions of her signature that I could work with. And uh, uh, she's always um, been uh, more than um, uh, generous with the information and uh, has never kind of um, hesitated to talk to me about her time when she was playing. I think she has very fond memories of that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, she's done. She's definitely an inspiration of mine. She's uh, dealt with so much tragedy in her own life and um, but you wouldn't know it by, you know, from talking to her, she's always positive and just um, has a very upbeat personality. Um, usually late, lately she's, she's, you know, she, she gets a little angry at the politics that are happening, <laughs> which, is, which I love. I just her, think, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, grandma. Yeah, and, it. you know, Texas is a potential swing state as well. Mm -hmm. So we need her to be angry. <laughs> yeah, I never thought I'd see the day, but the last, the last couple of years I've been saying it's it's very purple and at least all the major cities seem to be more leading liberal than conservative, but we'll see. Yeah, and, and um, did you live in El Paso when Beto was the representative there? Um, uh, I believe at the early, at the early stages of him okay. being a rep, um, we, we went to the same high school. Um, he's I think four or five years older than me, but um, I'm familiar with him through through um, mutual friends, and you know, he, I think I'd seen his band play a couple times. Um, uh, but by the time I'd moved to Portland, is when he his kind of popularity really skyrocketed. Right. Yeah. Well, he's yeah, he's a it good person. Like he is absolutely one of the reasons that there's a chance. If there is a chance, this cycle, uh, it, it's seems like it's partly due to what he did in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. He's done a lot of good work for the state and for El Paso in general. And um, yeah, I hope he sticks with it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I wish he was running for a Senate seat. We'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'd love to talk a little bit about uh, creation myth. Sure. Uh, one and two, okay. um, which are, seem to be yeah, two bodies of work uh, that differ in some ways, but are very connected. Um, and just how, uh, where you're using hoops and nets and backboards, but in ways to almost create a court that represents uh, basketball. And uh, when before, of course, pre James Naismith, pre uh, colonial times, when uh, their their basketball had different names but was uh, played in within different cultures um and so yes i would love to to hear more about that yeah it's it's definitely the 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 project itself um i see uh, different iterations of it um in the future um meaning that 
I feel like I'm going to revisit this project a few times. Part of it is just because um, it's based off of the connection between the ancient Mesoamerican ball game and modern day basketball. Um, I'm sure you can make that connection with the variety of sports. Soccer is just another example, but um, I think with my um, personal experience with basketball, it was just an easy way to connect the two. And uh, the idea that the Mesoamerican ball game was such a central part of uh, that culture. Um, and you can find it in a lot of the major cities, just in the way that I think you can find major basketball teams in all the different cities in, in the country here. Um, I feel like being able to revisit the, the project is just, I'm basically creating like a different court. So you have Madison Square Garden, you have the Rose Garden or Moda Center is what they call it now in uh, American Airlines Arena. And so these are just different iterations of what I feel are arenas. Um, the artwork itself is based off of, or inspired by a um, Mesoamerican um, creation myth, which is um, there were hero twins. Um, um, and I want to get the pronunciation right. It's uh, Wunapu and Shibilanke. And they were twins. Um, and the idea is that, or the story goes that they um, found their um, fathers and their uncles ball game um, equipment and started to play it. And um, their father and their uncle had been killed in the underworld um, because when they were players, they annoyed the underworld gods so much that the underworld gods summoned them to play a sport, to play a game. They were too noisy? Yeah, they were too noisy okay. in, in, our, in our room for the underworld. So they were summoned by the underworld gods um, to um, Shibalba, which is the underworld in Mayan uh, mythology. And they were sort of tricked and lost. And so they were kind of lost in the underworld. And uh, when the, the twin heroes um, found their, their uncle and, and father's uh, equipment, began to play the sport and fell in love with it. Um, but knowing the story of what happened to their father and their uncle, when they were in turn called down to Chibaba to play, play a game, um, they were aware and they were able to kind of sidestep booby traps and other tricks and essentially were able to recover their dad and their father or their father and their uncle's um, bodies or heads and brought them back up to the, to the world that we live in now. And to honor them, they put them in the sky as the, the sun and the moon. And so inspired by that story, um, and inspired by the way the, the ball game itself kind of um, symbolized um, the regeneration of the earth and the, the, the contrast of the sun and the moon. It's just like this um, cyclical thing. Um, I took its uh, closest counterpart, what I felt was basketball and, and tried to abstract, abstractly um, sort of encompass that into, into, into the, into the works. Um, and so there's some symbology in there. There's some symbology in there where like part of it is yellow that represents the sun. The other piece of neon that's purple represents night. Um, and there's kind of nods to both the underworld and the real world. Um, and then other things that symbolize uh, the actual court itself that you would find in some of these cities um, that were in the shape of an eye and also had like uh, stone hoops that were instead of, as we would know, as we would uh, recognize the hoops just being um, horizontal, these were kind of st stood up vertically. So sort of that you you would throw the ball through them directly rather than having a shot that arches and goes down. Yeah, um, they used a rubber ball um, and um, they didn't, bless you, they didn't quite use, um, they didn't use their hands. They did a lot of, uh, of the movement of the ball with, with their hips or um, I believe maybe their elbows and their knees. They had 
certain equipment that would protect them because the rubber balls themselves um, in different places were used for di with different of different sizes, but they were also um, it was a pretty dangerous sport to play just because um, some of the some of those balls would catch just a great um, uh, just a really um, high speed and could hurt hurt the players in general, uh, but a lot of the aspect of it was yeah to essentially put the ball through the hoop in order to get a point or to win and um, that's just one of the many connections I feel um, resemble our modern day basketball. Right and on the backboards that you're using it seems like you've mapped out sort of the shape of what the court would have looked like during that period of time so that it wasn't just a rectangle like the game is played in today with of course lineage but that it was actually shaped very differently and that you you reflect that with a design on the backboard yeah i'm just trying to add a little bit um a little bit of what i'm learning in my research uh to the piece so that if there's if the viewer is so inclined to kind of uh, sift through what it is and really start looking at the symbols in it that they'll be able to tie some of those uh connections that I'm making. And the colors that you use, I mean, I, I guess when just as an initial reading of these works, I think that they come off as uh, sort of celebratory in some way, um, just with the, the liveliness of the colors, the richness of the colors. Um, and I think of basketball as a very, I mean, it can be a really, uh, it, it cannot feel celebratory as well. I mean, it depends on how many fouls are being called, how much flopping's sure. going on, like how how sort of like stunted the game can be. But in its purest form, when it's just moving back and forth at the normal speed of the game, it can, and the ball is being passed, the ball is being shot, like there's, everything's kind of going. Like without interruption, it can feel like this very celebratory in a way that I don't know if... Um, I don't know if other sports uh, meet it completely, um, for me at least. Yeah, I mean, part of what I like about, uh, I guess, the work that I do, what, it, um, what I'm interested in is I, I do like bright colors and saturated colors, and I think they um, can give a piece like a certain energy that either kind of buzzes it up or maybe like uh, dims it a little bit and so um, in a lot of the work that I'm doing I'm just exploring some of those um, just techniques in general um, but it having like a direct meaning to anything in Meso Mesoamerican ballgame or the NBA it, that's not quite um, I guess the reason but um, I, I do see what you what you mean about um, when the sport is moving, there's a lot of action. So um, I feel like having bright colors creates like a sense of, of movement and, um, and, and yeah, energy really. Yeah, I've, I've spoken about this really briefly on the podcast before, but I, I remember watching a game last year where the Miami Heat were playing the Utah Jazz and the Heat were wearing their pink and blue jerseys and the jazz sure. were wearing their uh like red rock jerseys that are orange different shades oh, of yes. orange yeah the i was just I'm like saying, yeah. this is so stunningly gorgeous i mean all of these colors together kind of moving around each other and um it was just really it was just beautiful and uh i mean it's that's that's not the case with every team of course as we discussed mm -hmm. before there's there's specific uh color combinations that that work so well but um i just was like taken aback by how those teams looked together yeah there's like a sense of pageantry that kind of comes into play and i think that's that's important for i would assume the players there's like a sense of pride but it it goes all the way into the fans where they're able to kind of like uh, recognize each other by you know, the same, you're wearing the same mascot or the same colors. And um, it, it can be a really effective, um, like, mode of communication to either intimidate or kind of, um, um, I don't know, show strength a little bit. Right. And what, um, going back to sort of the maybe more spiritual aspects of the, the story that uh, you told about, um, 
the game being tied to the sun and the moon and really reflecting mm -hmm. that cyclical nature of the day, kind of uh, the sun rising, the sun setting, the ball arching, the ball going through the hoop, like things like that. And I'm just wondering, um, as, as someone who's played the game and, and also looked at it from this other perspective, uh, just how you feel about how you feel about the spiritual aspects or what that has meant to you maybe as a player or maybe just as an artist? Well, I think sports um, can provide that. Um, I think that's why people do yoga and people play golf because it's a way of sort of um, being present to your body, but you're allowed, you know, you're so sort of focused that the world sort of tends to disappear a little bit. And I think um, basketball um, itself is, um, I know it would do that for me in the past. Um, so it's like, you know, if I was having a hard time with something, I'd just go shoot hoops or, you know, I could, um, essentially you kind of, um, we mentioned this last time I spoke, but uh, I feel like the chord itself kind of represents this like sacred space where you're able to kind of, um, kind of detach from the real world and then just go and sort of be one with what you're doing, uh, be really present. Um, I oftentimes would find myself saying, oh, well, like, I'm going to get this job or I'm going to get a good grade on my quiz if I make three threes in a row or something, <laughs> you know, just make it so that it, it was sort of a little bit out of my hands, what really kind of what my fate would be. And, um, and in that sense, I kind of think back to the Mesoamerican game where there were times where there were, they were either settling disputes through the game or quite possibly um, looking for signs as like having the game played as a, maybe one team stood for a yes and the other team stood for a no. And if they had some sort of question that they needed answered would have this performance and let the gods sort of dictate what uh, what the answer would be. Um, and then I, I find that sort of, um, I guess related to the way we, we use sports now is where we see things in, in the news or in politics or in our own work. And we're able to kind of turn on sports and sort of zone out for a little bit and just kind of, um, be one with what we're watching or whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because it also kind of pushes back on the narrative that we have that's like, it's just a game, you know, it's right. not it's not a big deal. It's like, well, um, at other points in the history of the world, games have been a huge deal. And, and of course, I mean, there's, there's other uh, sports uh, and where people are much more likely to get severely injured or it's more of like a life and death uh, mm -hmm. situation. But I, I, I appreciate like the, the full engagement and, and, and being able to tune other things out. And I also am like, maybe we should have a basketball game instead of an election. <laughs> like, you yeah. know. Biden and Trump one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe just the, the two, the all-star teams, one play. I mean, we, we couldn't even convince either of them to play for, right. for one of the sides, but it's just this, this idea that, um, yeah, I think that sometimes, uh, sports and, and athletes, of course, are all, are dismissed mm -hmm. kind of easily like, oh, that's over here. This is, you know, belongs somewhere else. And, you know, I, I, I use sports for this. Um, and I mean, you know, the, one of the reasons I have this podcast is to, to try to, to think about other what we can learn from sports besides just, you know, watching the game or even through this research that you're sharing um, and what you've created. It's like there there is there's more to this that can like live on past the 48 minutes past the you know uh I'm trying to think of football how whatever however long nine innings of baseball takes um, sure sure that these these things can kind of like live on and stay with us and we can think about them critically well yeah we tend to make athletes um role models maybe charles barkley would disagree right but yeah um, <laughs> shout out to charles barkley for disagreeing with that <laughs> but um that that's one of the things that i wanted to kind of um 
address and making a piece of memorabilia of my grandmother's that um, we don't necessarily have only a select number of people to choose from as our heroes. Like we can look at all the people that are important to you and in one way or another, they, they can be heroic and they can be kind of venerated. Um, but it also, you know, it also kind of um, ties into the fact that athletes are humans and they're able to make mistakes and we expect them to be perfect, but um, they aren't necessarily always perfect. Um, and it just, that can also relate to politics where we elect politicians and expect them to be perfect and they can't always, aren't always perfect. Um, and so there's a lot to sort of mine there for a lot of the other different aspects of our, our world that, um, you know, you find, you find sports sort of just a microcosm of what else is happening. Yes. And absolutely. I think that that's something that I'm, I'm hoping comes from the election. If, if Joe Biden wins, that there is less emphasis placed on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as saviors, as perfect individuals who are going to fix everything um, unless we hold them accountable. So I think that there, I felt that maybe with past presidents, there uh, has been this desire to be like, oh, this person is perfect and they're going to do all of these things. Um, and uh, and that, of course, happened with athletes as well. So this like emphasis placed on the individual rather than like the system that the individual is working within and what the, the problems with the system are versus the imperfections of the individual. And when we see Confederate statues coming down and nothing replacing them, mm -hmm. in some ways I'm like, yeah, let's not replace, let's not, we, we don't necessarily have to, you know, let's take, why don't we like take some emphasis off the, um, the individual as a, as a, as a country, perhaps. I mean, I think that within, within families and things like that and like archiving and, and it's just, it's, it is important to tell these stories. It just feels like as a society, we do have this, uh, gut sort of reaction to just be like, the individual will save us sure. and i think it's coming up a lot right now with with discussion around like well this current movement has no uh true leader like there's no martin luther king jr to lead this movement um forward and there's also no one to be assassinated that could necessarily deflate this movement in the same way i mean i think that i mean i'm saying this now i don't know what's going to happen with some of the violence that we've seen and things like that but in some ways like if, if there's enough people on board and if it's spread across the country to enough places, like, do we need, do we need one person to be leading the way or can we, can we all do it? Um, and yeah, so just kind of like de-emphasizing the individual, is that, po is it possible for us to do? I don't know. Um, and, and not to, not to suggest that, that we, we should not have this, uh, basketball mm -hmm. card of your grandmother because it's such a powerful piece, but just like the other side of that is, uh, um, this demanding of perfection and then the inevitable, oh, you're not perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even if we look at a person like Kobe Bryant, to me, that was a very, um, uh, a, to me, it was really important to kind of um, self-reflect on why uh, a person who I had never met was so sort of, um, emotionally impactful in my life um just like everybody else he's a flawed person but it seemed like there was a huge majority of people that were um really affected by his tragic death and that of his daughter and all the other people in in that crash um and what i've seen sort of come out of that was not like any kind of real like legislation about what happened or whatever, but more like just kind of the amplifying and of what he sort of personified and what he meant to so many people, that Mamba mentality to kind of, to not try to be like anybody else, but be better, to be like the best version of yourself, to really like live up to your potential. And I think that those are the things that should really stick with us um, in terms of um, how we kind of 
venerate the the past so it's like it's it's looking to what is important and if we're able to sort of cement that i think that's the key and and as you said yes a little bit less focus on like the celebrity and like the 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 person and more about sort of the the impact and i think uh i i think that's sort of a a better way to go um just because yeah everybody has i'm sure like flaws and um right it's just setting up ourselves up for for disappointment mm -hmm. um and it does seem like there's a shift right now with the fo the focus like the discussion of systemic racism versus you know holding people accountable for individual acts of prejudice or bigotry but also how does that come to exist? How does that person come to think that this is something that they could can do in this situation? Right. Um, uh, what what is going on in that institution that might allow for mm -hmm. that? Um, so it seems like there is more discussion around that, which uh, I mean, of course, we need to elect people who are willing to respond <laughs> to <laughs> such uh you know, pushes and things like that, but it just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a possibility, um, that we could, yeah, it's sort of just take what's good from sort of the individual aspects you were mentioning about Kobe Bryant, um, and sort of hold on to, to those things, uh, rather than demanding perfection. Yeah, exactly. It's not like we're not living through a sort of our heroes. They're just, they're sort of like, guiding us really and i think um i think that's an important thing to keep in mind is that um we see you know uh elijah cummings or uh um, john lewis and ruth bader ginsburg just we're not living through them where we need to use like their example and their teachings and what they have done for us as a way to uh sort of um build a framework for what we need to do um and it's not that we necessarily lost it all but it's that we're able to take what they have left for us and kind of build on that yes hopefully yes 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 yeah ideally i just want to touch again um on your any responsibility you might feel as sort of the keeper of of certain history or the role you play uh maybe uh through this work about your family well i think that's uh it's it's sort of layered i i know i have a responsibility to my immediate family um my nieces and nephews um i want to be able to preserve some of the knowledge that my grandmother and my grandparents passed on to my parents and they on to me also the sort of the the family history um isn't always necessarily preserved you have to have somebody that's interested in it and i can only i can't make uh, the next generation necessarily interested in in what interests me but I can sort of, um, as you said, uh, be a keeper of it, sort of kind of create a marker for them to be able to come back to and say or see that this much research has been done or this much of um, has kind of been protected for them and to move forward with that. Um, it's part of the importance in my community. Well you know, uh, being Mexican-American, living, working in Portland, Oregon, it's it's just a added perspective to what is happening in the, in the kind of grand dialogue within the museums and the galleries out here. And it's, it's the, um, the availability of uh, someone who is um, not familiar with maybe Latin culture, Texas or El Paso or any of those things to see the work and um, maybe learn something or just uh, maybe something kind of piques their interest and they're able to kind of 
create their own research or look at their own families and kind of mine themselves for for things that are important and um you know if we've seen anything um or learned anything from experiencing COVID is that not sort of the way life was seems uh, sort of trivial. The things that are important aren't necessarily the most important thing when, you know, shit hits the fan, right? It's like toilet paper, paper towels, Clorox wipes really got, became important. The people that are often disregarded are the people that are our heroes, right? Are frontline workers, nurses, doctors, like postal, postal workers, all of those people um, are, are doing what's, what's necessary. And maybe that's just like opening the eyes of uh, more people to realize that there's heroes among us all the time, right? Yes. Um, and the idea of the creation myth um, being the title of that work, I know we spoke about, a little bit about this before, but just this, um, I think that the other thing besides the individual that we often place a lot of emphasis on is having, is knowing the date of when something started, mm -hmm. like within our, within the United States history, like this is when the first basketball game was played. This is when the first baseball game was played. This is when the first women's basketball game was played. And I think something that gets lost in a lot of that is because um, of segregation of Jim Crow laws of all this stuff it is the first for a specific group of people more often than not when we're talking about things that happened like pre-1940 or 65 or or whatever the event is that oftentimes it's 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 the first for a, a certain group um and so I think that even though you're presenting a creation myth we also live within are living within a certain creation myth, the, the creation myth that we've developed for, for ourselves about when things began mm -hmm. and who they began for. And um, I mean, the 4th of July, I think, is also an example. Um, and uh, as far as celebrating freedom goes, uh, and it just seems like there could be a more exciting uh, way to remember. And sometimes we, we make things feel more smaller and more exclusive by having these specific dates and times and we're we're disregarding games that were were played uh in other cultures long before yeah to me it was really um sort of important to show a connection between something that is technically or quote unquote imported you know and so it's like this administration wants to um, kind of curb uh, immigration and they're really um, trying to, to some extent, erase history so that it's, it fits perfectly with what they, or how they want it to. And um, I love the idea of connecting this like ancient game that sort of originated in like central Mexico and uh, um, and has sort of withstood the the test of time and is in some way or another a variation of it still exists you know it was the first team sport recorded in history um, and here we are however many thousands of years later still kind of playing um, a version of it um, and I look at my grandmother and she's an immigrant and she has such a kind of amazing past. And so that also goes against the like current political narrative that all immigrants are like terrorists or they're like criminals or just kind of any of the other things that are sort of um, popping up in the news. And uh, this is a way of presenting it, I felt, in, a, in hopes that it just uh, it, it, it doesn't come across as so foreign all the time that we're kind of like, uh, get used to seeing positive representations of immigrants or just uh, 
just these interesting connections of some of the things that we think are like solely American are sort of rooted in things that are important to our country. Um, there's a, I think there's a lot of room there to kind of um, find positive aspects of that and uh, sort of um, try to debunk or derail some of the those preconceived notions of what the things are. Yes, and and, and I, I think this this idea you mentioned of sort of rethinking what is American um, is also, uh, yeah, just a really important thing to be thinking about right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're seeing this administration definitely also take a strong stand on on other histories right. that are being presented um, that are not sticking to what we've previously understood to be the uh, sort of set in stone history of the United States. Um, and yeah, that that uh, just one one dark step towards <laughs> authoritarianism. So um, yeah, I think the the derailing that is is critical. Yeah, it's it's about sort of yeah derailing it, disrupting it, sort of just kind of just making it not e not easy. And if you're able to create sort of a beautiful piece of art that you would think anybody would come across and sort of like or kind of identify with and then have it sort of rooted in something that's like purely good like I don't know how you can politicize a sport necessarily being imported right so it's like we're not going to play this sport because it comes from whatever culture um, I, you know I, I would think that that's silly and so it's like if and I think that so many people are really sort of sensitive to what's happening now with uh, you know protest or like things like that is that because their idea of what this perfect kind of America is is sort of being challenged right because it's like how could it be perfect and still have had slavery how could it be perfect and still have like displaced indigenous people and like um and so they're they're struggling with that so it's like a crisis of faith and i think um art has a role of being able to kind of make that not so jarring right you start to see it and you know you, as you think about it and reflect about it like on your own terms it's easier to kind of get the full picture i believe mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, I think that was my list. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It was a pleasure talking. Yes. Good. Okay. Well, take care. Um, All right. Stay safe, and we will just talk very soon. Okay. Same to you. Take All care. right. Bye, Evan. Bye.